I cannot begin to express my thanksgiving and the privilege to be here this morning. Faith Bible Baptist Church in Yuma, Colorado has a new pastor, and uh, they have secured a home there in our village. And um, so I'm (laughs) going to be looking forward to uh, possibly retire. I am so thankful for your pastor. You are blessed with your pastor, his wife, and his family. Um, And talking to him on the phone, I was grieved to hear of his grandmother's uh, being called home and, of course, lost down here, but gained for heaven. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. And in talking to your pastor on the phone, I had suggested earlier when I met with him one time um, that I'm going to do these electronic things. I'm sorry. any rate, uh, that he would like to develop some fellowship, and I'm hungry for that. I pastored a church in Golden, Colorado for 20 years, and I must say that I missed the fellowship with fellow pastors uh, being out here in farming community. So, any rate, thank you so much for letting my wonderful wife, Jackie, and I the privilege to join you this morning. And uh, we're praying for your pastor and for each of you as well. We continue to pray for um, a young lady by the name of Ann and her brother, who is uh, fighting a dread disease, Lynn. So good to see him, and I enjoy enjoyed seeing, uh, still seeing a smile on his face. So praise the Lord. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we are so thankful for your love, for the privilege to be able to come in this house of prayer and join our hearts together in worshiping you. We love you, and... We're so thankful for the love of the Lord Jesus, the tremendous price he gave on the cross and paying for our sin there. How thankful, Father, we are for your grace and the gift of life, we who have received your Son as our Savior. As we open your word, what a treasure it is to our hearts. And we just ask that you might take your word and use it in a powerful way in touching the depths of our hearts to encourage us, to strengthen us, to build us further in Christ, to prepare us for your use to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here who is yet to come and receive your gift of life, that you'll bring them this morning, and that they, too, might be a part of your family and have the joy of Christ in the depths of their hearts. And we ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. I would like to ask you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts and chapter 10. I have fallen in love with God's Word, and I also love the 
King James translation, which is what I will be using this morning. But uh, if you have a different translation, hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Now, I understand, and having worked with a man who uh, was very busy and gave a lot of labor in building your building back here, in that right direction, uh, they have moved to Kansas now, and uh, we miss them. Jim and Gloria, what a very dear, dear couple. But I worked with him in crop testing for CSU um, for a few years and uh, discovered that Akron, like Yuma, is a farming community. And as such, then, you must be each one familiar with at least to some degree, perhaps a large degree, of farming. And with that, I would like to ask you a question to kind of direct our thinking this morning. How is a plant made? And really, I don't care what plant God might bring to your mind in responding to that question but I would suggest that in order for a plant to be made, there are quite a few requirements. And please note the word require. First of all, I have learned that there must be a seed. In addition to that, that seed must be dead. Now, life cannot gain life because it has life. So in order to gain life, it must be dead. In addition to that, that seed must be equipped and empowered by God to bring forth a plant or bring forth life in that sense. In addition to that, there must be a window that is right, a right window of temperature, a right window of moisture, a right window of nutrients. And there are other things as well, but for that seed to develop into a plant. Now, it's interesting to me, and perhaps you have examined this, meditated upon it, thank God for it, but this provides a tremendous, tremendous picture of the making of true spiritual life and beauty. God must initiate it. Man, under the power and death of sin, is unable, incapable. God must reprove the person of sin, reprove the person of righteousness, reprove the person of coming judgment, John chapter 16. So this is a tremendous picture. And I believe God has provided it. And so this morning, 
Would you please join me as I look at a passage of God's making true spiritual life and beauty? Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 10 if you're not there? And let me, before we begin to look at the passage, uh, share some background. In the setting here, the Jews, including the apostle, which included Peter, had learned a bias against Gentiles. And so God brought to Peter a vision that what God makes clean is indeed clean. That God saves Gentiles, not just Jews. And further here, God has been working, as he always does, in some Gentiles' hearts, primarily a centurion, and of course also Peter and the six that were with him. And God moved the centurion there, who was convicted by God of his sin, and he fasted, and he prayed earnestly for help because he recognized he did not have real life in God. He was a devout person, religious, following the then Jews' so-called religion. So God responded to the centurion's prayer and fasting, That's what God does. God says he gives grace to the humble. And the centurion had humbled himself before our Lord. And he resists the proud. And so God moved Peter to go to the centurion. And it's at that point where Peter arrives that I want to pick up this passage this morning. Acts chapter 10, notice with me, Verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now the point there of fearing and righteousness is simply he has responded to God's conviction. And so therefore as his heart opened to what God would bring. Now, I want to sidestep just a second and make a comment because I have heard and been told and have read that uh, some say that Cornelius here, the centurion, and those that were with him uh, had already received Salvation, they were saved. That's not true. If that were true, why has God sent Peter? Why would God send Peter to give the gospel? It just isn't true. But what is true, what is true 
God had worked in their hearts, preparing them for salvation, convicting them of their sin. And, you know, there's lots of sin, but the real problem here is being a sinner. And that's what God convicts of. Um, My wife has a puppy. We've had several puppies when the children were little. And uh, I've noticed something about dogs. They bark. That's what a dog does. And a sinner sins. That's what a sinner does. And so God convicts of that. Not only that, but here also, uh, in the context of God's word, God convicts of righteousness, God's righteousness, and looming judgment. So, it's interesting here. God has brought the message to Peter in this vision. And here Peter expresses that he has learned that God does not have partiality. God does not operate with partiality. Yes, I know, he chose the Jews. But God continually, as you study God's word, from Genesis 1, God is continually has continually, continues today to reach out to all mankind. And those that are unsaved, he has a heart to see them get saved. Those that are saved to be built up in his word, his truth, his ways, the life of Christ, to be able to have a joy-filled life usable by God for the glory of Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 29 and verse 30, the Holy Spirit bringing this through his penman Paul in this instant says, Is he the God of the Jews only? Question mark. Is he not also of the Gentiles? Question mark. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith, and the uncircumcision through faith. I'm sure you're familiar. The word circumcision there was used in regard to the nation of Israel, Jewish people, and uncircumcision referencing others in mankind. So Peter now gives the message to these Gentiles. Notice verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, now notice this, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. These had been burdened by God for their sin, been burdened by God for God's righteousness, been burdened by God for the looming judgment. For their sin. And you know, I have discovered in my life and time past, I didn't get saved until later on in my life, but I have noticed even in my life, I've noticed in other lives as well, Satan loves to cover this up. 
He doesn't want us to see God's love and the salvation that God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan sought to cover it up in Peter as well. But you know something? You and I have learned from God's truth. And that's what we got here is God's truth. Amen? God has revealed to us in God's truth there is only one way to find true uh, peace, true spiritual peace, true spiritual life, and that is only by Jesus Christ. Jesus recorded in his word in John chapter 14 and verse 6 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And it's irregardless what man and his ideas might come up with. And this is sundry of all kinds of so-called religions. Jesus Christ alone is the way to salvation. Well, did you notice it says here, He is Lord of all. I'd like to point out that that is in the Texas Receptus, uh, the received text that the early church so used. And it is not something added. It is what Peter actually spoke. I know it's in brackets in the Bible here, but emphasis on the fact that God spoke through Peter thus. In fact, as you look at this chapter 10, the whole chapter is about God reaching out to Gentiles and adding them to the church. And if you're not aware, I'm a Gentile. Not that I chose to be. It was God's choice. <laughs> my parents were Gentiles. And so my mother gave birth to a Gentile baby. Well, notice Jesus is Lord of how many? Did you notice what it says? All. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, irregardless of what somebody might believe or say. He is God, and He is God Almighty, and He is Lord and will always be. Oh, I wish others would see that. Even some who have been saved but not walking in Christ. Well, it goes on here, the account. Notice with me verse 37. That word, as Peter continues, he says, That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism of John, which, excuse me, which John preached. We recognize, of course, that the baptism that John preached was repentance for sin and longing for the reign of righteousness. And therefore, God was using him, in fact, raised him up to prepare the nation of the Jews for the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised one. And the promised one came... And he preached, 
and he taught that the kingdom of God was at hand and that they needed to repent to receive the spiritual kingdom of God. So these with Cornelius now, the centurion, had heard these things. Scripture points that out. But they needed to know that through Jesus, salvation was given and why. Their works would not save them. The nation of Israel at the time had that idea. No religion would save them. No idol would save them. No angel would save them. No superman would save them. Superman or spider the man or whoever. Only Jesus Christ can save. Now, notice with me verse 38 as it continues. Peter continues with the message. He says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Here we got the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ who has always been God himself coming to earth, taking on human nature, becoming the perfect God-man to go to the cross to pay for mankind's sin so that any could come if they would. So, notice that he was anointed. That simply points to the fact that he was appointed. And it's the entire Godhead, including Christ himself, that uh, appointed him, decided. It's interesting The Holy Spirit and supernatural power brought God the Son through the Virgin Mary. The perfect God-man. And Jesus was and is the Lamb of God Himself given to pay for man's sin. Jesus gave Himself to die on the cross for our sin. No one took it from Him. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And the word power there, very interesting, strong, strong word, was shown further even by Jesus' miracles in healing unhealable disease. Why, how we could use some healing from cancer, from lots of other things as well. Jesus had power, power to do that. He had had power over the spiritual world, over demons, cast them out. He had power over material things 
like the storm on the Sea of Galilee. He got up when they woke him and he quieted the storm. If you do any study in regard to the Sea of Galilee, storms, they're vicious, violent storms can occur just like that because of the western slope. But Jesus had power to still the storm. Jesus had power to feed 5,000 plus ladies and, and children. He is God. And it's interesting, he always did and always has and always will do what's good for mankind because God is good. Please don't miss this. We have so much false teaching and ideas today. All cruelty, all suffering, all murder. has its beginning and caused by Satan. That is why, for example, you and I need to put on the whole armor of God as shown in Ephesians chapter 6 and other places as well. It's so important that we live in victory for the honor and glory of Christ. And God was with him. Indeed, what Jesus did, he did not act alone. In fact, he gave credit to the Holy Spirit. Having set aside so much as there in Philippians to come to pay the price for sin. The whole Godhead was in salvation. The whole Godhead involved in Jesus' coming and salvation. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus without measure, Scripture tells us. And God the Father spoke from heaven of his being pleased in Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting there are three gods. There's only one God, but he's expressed in Scripture in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I can't put that together in my finite mind, but I know it's absolute truth. <clears throat> well, notice with me verse 39. The count goes on and it says, Peter speaking here, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Oh, my. Peter was speaking not only of himself but other apostles and, and other, other followers who witnessed Jesus going to the cross. Firsthand they witnessed this. You don't find any stronger acceptable testimony in an acceptable court of law than that. 
They witnessed his death on the cross. They witnessed his resurrection. They were all witnesses of these things. And further, most important to the salvation of these Gentiles, of what they witnessed, notice here in verses 40 and 41. Him, God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. God vindicating his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, completely accepting the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross, raised him from the grave, victorious over sin. Jesus did not pay part of the penalty for sin. He paid it all. And the wages of sin is death. But praise God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus is alive. He is alive. And I notice here in this passage another inference or teaching in God's Word, several other locations as well, but Jesus was bodily raised from the grave. (laughs) I read and I see on the so-called news media, which really is commentary, may I suggest, you may differ with me. That's okay. I don't want to make you angry. But that's my view, my assessment. But at any rate, I've seen where all, oh, I've seen this, or they're digging over here, or they're digging over there, and they think, well, we find the body of Christ. They did not find the body of Christ. They will not find the body of Christ until they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. Period. Notice here, they touched him. Well, it doesn't say that exactly, but they ate and drank with him. It's interesting here that God points out in his word that Jesus was not shown in his risen state to everyone, but to the ones that God chose to reveal them, reveal him to. And so here, interestingly, Peter had a very special privilege of seeing the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, eating and walking with him. And yet, too, you know what? We believers see Jesus Christ spiritually in the life that God has given us. Some people have a, what was an artist's idea of what Jesus physically looked like when he walked here on earth as a perfect God man. Well, I have to tell you what I see. I see love that I can't even get the grasp of. I see beauty that is beyond all that I see in this planet earth the gorgeous flowers and blossoms and 
the colors, and it just goes on and on and on. I am, I am overwhelmed with it, but nothing comparable to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Rose of Sharon. He who is altogether lovely, lovely, and we could go on and on, could we not? How beautiful God is. How beautiful God is. Notice with me two more verses. I got seven and a half minutes and I'll close. Notice chapter 10 here, verses 42 and 43. Peter goes on and he says, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name Whomsoever believeth in him shall receive mission, remission of sins. This is what these Gentiles there with Cornelius needed to hear. Where they were convicted to look for remission of sins. I know sin is such an ugly word to so many. But beloved, unless sin is washed away by the blood of Christ, there is no salvation. And did you notice here it's total remission? comes out in the English. It's here. The tenses. And not only is it total remission, there's none left. When God washes the sin away, I mean it's away. But notice also it is eternal. That's, that's forever. And may I suggest that's core and that's foundational. It's real life that God gives Taking a believer's sin completely away, <laughs> how we praise him. True salvation. And may I suggest, please, please, don't let anything or anybody suggest anything other. God is so good to us. so good to us they flew me after a pickup knocked me on the pavement to Loveland to a new hospital and there they had a floor dedicated to brain injury and I had the doctor who was over the physical part of my recovery and also the doctor who was over quote unquote the psychological all that other stuff of my recovery and they both told me you are very fortunate to be alive hey I'm already alive I was alive before them I'm alive in Christ I will be alive forever isn't that true I uh, discovered in uh, Sunday school that uh, we don't have any many very many verbal uh, Baptists here. 
I'd ask him, Amen. And Jackie, my wife, Don, some of them said Amen. They just didn't say it very loud. I'm sorry. You cannot, you cannot possibly find joy until you have the joy of Christ in your heart. And with the joy of Christ, with the gift of salvation, with God exposing himself and teaching us about himself and, and how we increasingly can grow and have a, a victorious, fun-filled purpose in this life, even in a sin-world planet, you cannot beat that. Not possible, may I suggest. God has been gracious and given us, may I suggest, one of the greatest gifts on planet Earth, and that is the gift of salvation in the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that each of us in God's grace will come to know even more experientially in our living the tremendous of the gift of life of Jesus Christ within. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege to look at your word and to pick up on one of the tremendous treasures of Jesus' teaching. I just pray for your great grace. And God, how I ask for the folks here, please bless them. Bless the work here. Bless the pastor, his wife, his family. Bless our outreach to show others the tremendous joy and peace of forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ. Oh God, I ask that you might work in great power now when we come to a point that maybe there's something you have brought to the depths of our hearts to turn from and to give to you. Father, how we pray for your mighty work now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.